Well, good morning, church. My name is Tyler Moore. I am one of your elders here. And just to be clear, we don't use that term to refer to age. Uh, but it is a, a role in the church. And uh, I'm a non-staff pastor, if you will. I've been charged to shepherd the flock of God here at Hope Bible Church. And I'm growing in that daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. And, uh, and this is a part of that task as well. I've been charged to preach to you today Psalm 125. And so um, before we get into it, you can go ahead and turn there. One of the great things about churches like Hope is that there's not usually a secret about what's going to be preached the next Sunday. As we go through a book of the Bible, well, we go from chapter to chapter. And sometimes we spend a little more time in a chapter. Sometimes we cover a whole chapter in a in a Sunday, and as it is this summer, we're covering the Psalms of Ascent. We're almost to the middle point there, and so here we are at Psalm 125. And so, uh, if you would, let's, let's pray together before we jump in today. Lord, thank you for that song that we sung. That is our confession. That is our prayer this morning. Father, you are all that we need. Thank you for your church. Thank you for the local expression of the church here that we have in Hope Bible Church, these brothers and sisters in Christ whom you've united by your spirit and have called together, Lord, to walk this life, to travel on this journey. Thank you, Lord, you've given us songs for the journey. We don't have to go in silence. We don't have to go in doom and gloom, though there may be tests and trials, there may be difficult times. Lord, you've given us joy. You've given us a voice that we might sing praises to you. And so we come together this morning as the church of Jesus Christ. We come together to sing praises to your name. And God, we've come to hear from you this morning. We've come to hear from your word. Set aside all nerves and fears, Lord, and may you speak through your word. May your spirit work in the lives and the hearts of your people, your children. Today, Lord, be honored, be glorified in our gathering, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What comes to your mind when you think of the mountains? Maybe you think about some of the beautiful mountains we have here in the United States. The Grand Tetons of Wyoming, standing some 13,775 feet above sea level. Maybe Mount Rainier in Washington, the highest peak, which still has volcanoes bubbling to this day. Maybe you like flying down a snow-banked hill. World-class ski resorts in Colorado at the Twin Peaks, the Maroon Bells. Or maybe you uh, haven't traveled that far and you think of something a little closer to home. Maybe the, the Great Smoky Mountains in North Carolina and Tennessee, while the height of them pales in comparison to many others. Nonetheless, it's a beautiful mountain range and there are many places to climb. You can climb if you're not that gifted or skilled, or you can probably find somewhere that's challenging. There are waterfalls everywhere and many beautiful vantage points to see the beauty of God's creation. If I confess, when I hear the word mountain, 
the first word that pops into this southerner's mind is none other than that magisterial rock formation known as Stone Mountain. Remember, I was raised in the flatlands of Savannah, and so uh, the biggest hill I saw as a child was the Talmadge Bridge, you know? Uh, And so imagine my joy and delight as a young person traveling with my grandparents coming up to Stone Mountain right outside of Atlanta, and all of a sudden there's this ginormous granite rock. And just imagine the joy and the delight that filled my soul as I saw that. I've been up that mountain. It's a, it's a difficult climb if you're not a good climber and you're not in shape. Uh, but either way, it's, it's mesmerizing. And you get to the top and you have this view. It's not much on the top, but to look around and to see the skyline of Atlanta and the beauty of the park around, uh, that's it. That was my mountain experience, okay? Now, I've had the chance to travel a bit more as an adult. I've finally seen some true mountains. I've seen some mountains that are bigger than Stone Mountain, that hill in Atlanta. Uh, I've seen some in the various islands that I've been to. I've seen some on other continents. Um, But there's one mountain that I've yet to see, and that is Mount Zion and the mountains surrounding Jerusalem. Now, I'm hopeful that I will be able to see that sooner rather than later. As you know, uh, David mentioned this morning, we, we have a partnership with Shepherd's Theological Seminary in Cary, and I've been pursuing, uh, albeit very slowly, pursuing a degree uh, with them. And as part, of, as part of taking courses at Shepherd's, you take a trip to Israel, to the Promised Land, and you go and you walk where the saints of old walked, indeed where Jesus himself walked. And so I'm looking forward to being able to go there one day, again, hopefully sooner than later. And, uh, but until then, I have to read the books and do the Google searches and, uh, and call David on a Friday afternoon and say, explain to me what it's like. Tell me about it. Uh, what would it be like to be one of these pilgrims in the Psalm of Ascents, to be traveling up to that holy hill? And so I I will try to paint paint a portrait for you, however dim that it may be, uh, of what it would be like. So again, our text for today is Psalm 125. For a moment, I want you to imagine something better than Stone Mountain appearing on the horizon. Something better than, than any mountain you've seen, maybe. I want you to imagine yourself as one of these Israelites, a Jewish pilgrim making your way to Jerusalem. Imagine that from whatever direction you may be coming, you are going steadily uphill. And now imagine that you finally come around that last bend, or you crest that final hill, and you see the holy city, the city of David, Jerusalem, and you see Mount Zion and the temple of God, the place of his dwelling. Now imagine the feeling of the pilgrim as he sees with his eyes the goodness, and the kindness of the Lord. And he thanks him for bringing him safely to his destination. Consider the sight of the Temple Mount teeming with people, other pilgrims. They've come to do the same thing as you. They have come to offer worship to the one true God. That is the setting of Psalm 125. So hopefully you've turned there together, and uh, I'll read it out loud for us. A song of ascents. 
Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands and do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. The beginning of this psalm is patterned after other psalms uh, that are, we call them a, a Zionist hymn. Not unlike Psalm 46 or 48 or 76. Psalm 48 describes well what Zion was understood to be by the faithful Israelite and, and, and what it meant to the people. So I'm going to read it quickly because I just want to give you a mind of what Zion is. Psalm 48 reads like this. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion is far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled, they came on together, and as soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took flight. Trembling took hold of them there, anguish as a woman in labor. By the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish, as we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of God, which God will establish forever. For we have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praises reach to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgment. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. This is the view of Mount Zion. There is none that can be compared with it. But notice that it is not Mount Zion itself that is the focus. In our Psalm 125, we first see the pilgrim, the Israelite, or in our case, the believer, the one who trusts in the Lord. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot move, cannot be moved, but abides forever. So we see that Mount Zion, as great as it can be, is not the focus. This church is not only the psalmist. It is not only the faithful pilgrims making the journey, but it is the believer today. It is you and me. We are those who have placed our trust in the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And trusting in him, we find that we are offered great security and stability on our journey. So stable, in fact, that in Christ, we are like that unshakable hill, Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, and which abides forever. 
Now, as has been mentioned often in this series, we've gone through the Psalms of Ascent. The psalmist knew this well, as the journey to Jerusalem would often be difficult and dangerous. And they knew that it was God himself who alone could deliver them safely to their destination. And when they saw the city, what a picture of the strength of God. As one commentator says, Mount Zion is that immovable rock that anchors the city of Jerusalem. Now, if you are in Christ, you have not put your trust in a mere mortal. You have not built your house upon the sand, but you have built your house upon the immovable rock. And you have put your trust in the immutable God, the one who does not change, and his care for his own will not relent because he is eternal. Isaiah 40, 28 and following says it like this. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is what it means to trust in the Lord. What does the Bible say about trusting in God? You may have heard Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Maybe you've memorized it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. It means that for the believer, no matter the journey, you are grounded. You are sure in him. You've given him all your heart, indeed, your whole self, and you have confessed that you are needy in every way, and that apart from him, you can do nothing that pleases him. This type of trust is the type needed for every pilgrim. This is the song of people who have put no stock in their own ability, but have fully trusted in their Savior. And this brings us to verse 2, which is connected. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Notice the connecting words in verse 1 and verse 2. In verse 1, the stability of Mount Zion is now connected to the safety provided by the mountains which surround Jerusalem. In verse 1, those who trust in the Lord are now sweetly identified as His people. And finally, the reality of the eternality of God who abides forever is twice strengthened in our minds because He is with us from this time forth and forevermore. So verse 1 and verse 2, taken together, give us great confidence in the safety and the stability and the security that our God provides. And it should bring to your mind a song of thanks. Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. That's what we have done today. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. 
We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. Here it is. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. The psalmist stood on Mount Zion, surrounded by the mountains of Jerusalem, and he knew of the unfailing love of the Lord. He knew that he served the God who is faithful to a thousand generations, and he knew that he was safe, and the Lord was surely on his side, for he belonged to Yahweh. And so it is with us. Church, we are not our own, but we have been bought with a price. Hear these encouraging words from the prophet Isaiah that we can even read for ourselves. The Lord says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now verses 1 and 2 bring us up to verse 3. And we see a promise here. Read verse 3. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Though much could be said about the land allotted to the righteous, I will leave that discussion for another time. I think that this passage, this verse coming in the middle of the passage, is instructive for us today because we see the Lord, the one who is unshakable and who surrounds his people. That Lord is protecting us and is guarding his people from evil, indeed from being given over completely to evil, where it says, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. So my encouragement here is simply this. Walk in the wisdom provided by the Lord and rest in his keeping power. Proverbs 2 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright, and he is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. So it is, church, that the Lord guards us from evil. In every temptation, he has provided a way of escape, and he has led us in paths of righteousness. And he has promised that the scepter of righteousness, excuse me, the scepter of wickedness will not rule forever. Indeed, sin will not rule over us forever. Though we've been saved, we still live in a world of sin. We still live under the temptations of the world and the flesh and the devil. But we will not forever be ruled in this way. A little further down in that same passage in Proverbs 2, it says again, So you will walk in the way of the good and keep the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. And this leads us into verse 4 and 5. And I see this as a prayer. Verse 4 and 5. 
reads this way. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with the evildoers. Let's turn first to verse 4. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good. This is simply a prayer that the people of God might reap what it is they've sown. This is a prayer that the Lord would keep His promises to His people. This is a prayer that the Lord would reward those who are upright in heart. And do you know that He has done that for us today? He's promised us that we will receive the reward. But even now, He has done good to us. God has immeasurably blessed us. Listen to how Paul explains it in Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The Lord has done good to those who are good. He has adopted us to himself. We are made sons through Jesus Christ. He's given us redemption through his blood. And he has forgiven our trespasses. Indeed, he has washed away our sins. And he's given us a promise of a sure inheritance. Continuing in Ephesians 1 Now in verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, this is what it is, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. The Spirit has been given to us now. He has sealed us, and He is the promise of our sure inheritance. He is the guarantee that the Lord will not let the scepter of wickedness rule forever, that the Lord will do good to those who are good. Now turn to verse 5. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with the evildoers. Notice the dual speech here. There appears to be two different groups mentioned. We have those who turn aside, and we have the evildoers. I think the evildoers are ultimately fairly easy to identify. But what about those who have turned aside? As I grapple with this, I've landed here. I see this as a warning 
for those among the people of God who might be tempted to turn aside. Surely in the people of Israel, those were the, there were those who were not true Israel. They were not true believers. And in the church today, though you may be a card-carrying member, there may be some who are not true believers today. Verse 3 indicates that the Lord desires to save his people out of wickedness, lest they turn and sin. But even in that, there must be some who have decided that the journey is too hard, the road is too difficult, the goals are too lofty, the requirements of being a child of God are just too much. Maybe it will be easier to assimilate into the culture and to go along with the in crowd. We see this in the church. It wasn't long ago that even here in the U.S., to be a Christian was considered good and beneficial. To be a tithe-paying, you know, deacon of your local Baptist church was considered, man, this guy, is, he's good, he's upright, he's righteous, he's holy, we want you. But my, how the tithes have changed quickly because to be a Christian today is not considered very popular and in some circles is considered an awful thing. I think we will continue to see those who leave our ranks. We thought them to be of the house of faith, but indeed they have turned aside. I think Hebrews addresses this group of people who may well have committed what we would call the sin of apostasy. In Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, it says this, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. For them it is impossible to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. There are those who will hear the Word, and they will repent, and they will believe, and we will count them as brothers and sisters in Christ. But there are those who have decided that even in being a part of the church, even in the psalmist day, being a part of the chosen people of God and receiving the blessings that came along with that, that this was not what we wanted. For those who have turned aside, it is impossible to restore them again to repentance. Those who have participated in the blessings of the church but has still rejected the offer of the gospel. What hope is there for you? That person has received the highest form of revelation given today, and yet they have not believed. Ultimately, there are not three groups. There are only two groups of people, and there are only two eternal destinations. We've been talking lately, David and I and others, about other sub-Christian, really heretical religious groups, and there seems to always need to be a, a third way. There are those who are clearly evildoers, and those who in, in their minds are clearly righteous, but there must, be a, there must be a middle road. There must be a something in between heaven and hell and good and evil. But the Bible paints the picture that there are only two groups. There are only two eternal destinations. There is not a group for those who have come close by proximity to the Lord, yet have not trusted in Him. There's not a group for those who have done good things for others in their own strength and for their own glory. 
Matthew says it like this, you're either a sheep or a goat. Luke says, it's either wheat or chaff. For the redeemed, we are clinging to the promise that it is not our works that will save us, but the Lord will do good to those whom he loves, those whom he has saved, those who have turned to him. But for those who have tasted and seen and have rejected the free gift, the Lord will reject them, and they will be taken away with the evildoers and the workers of iniquity. We must hear a warning from the scripture. John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3 speaking to the Pharisees, gives them two examples of this. One, he says, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And after this, he said, I baptize you with water, but one who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The Holy Spirit for those who would believe, the fire who not. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. The same warning is for us today. Do not be deceived as the Israelites may have been. Do not be deceived as the Pharisees were, for they said they had Abraham as their father, and they knew the scriptures. We today, we have the entirety of the scriptures, which are true in all of their parts and are perfect and are sufficient. If you have all the scriptures, yet you don't care, take heed lest you fall. If you have experienced the blessing of God's people, of being a part of the church, but you do not cherish it. Take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. And one must ask if there is any here today, and you hear this warning, but you've not yet trusted in Jesus, then we would follow John the Baptist's words and say, flee from the wrath which is to come. It is sure and it is certain. For the one who is the judge of all the earth is also the savior of the world. And Jesus stands ready to receive those who will repent and turn from their sins and turn to him. And if you do that, he's promised to give you his peace. There's a tack on, a tag if you will. It almost seems like it should be verse 6. But I think taken in the whole, at the very bottom of verse 5, we see this simple statement. Peace. Be upon Israel. And though it seems a tag on it first, I think it's connected to those who are trusting in the Lord are like Mount Zion. And the Lord surrounds his people. And he's promised that the scepter of wickedness will not rest forever. And he's promised that he will do good to those who are good. And now we see that he gives peace. With the psalmist, we would still affirm this prayer. We would pray in earnest for the vast believing, uh, for the vast number of unbelieving Jews living today. Though the Lord has preserved for himself a faithful remnant, the Jews as a whole have missed their Messiah. And so until the Lord opens their eyes, we pray they would come to know Jesus 
as Lord and Savior because it is only then that they can experience true shalom, peace with God and peace with man. Now as for a believer, anyone today who believes, who puts their trust in Christ, we have shalom. We have peace with God because we've trusted in the Prince of Peace. Here are a few scriptures you may want to jot down that discuss in various ways the peace of Christ. Maybe you would find time to visit them later today. In the Old Testament, we have the the Aaronic blessing of Numbers 6, 24 through 26. Psalm 4, 8. Psalm 29, 11. Isaiah 26, 3, Isaiah 32, 17, all speak of the peace of God. In the New Testament, Romans 8, 6, Romans 15, 13, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, Colossians 3, 15, Philippians 4, 6 through 9, and Hebrews 12, 14. Let me read for you one of these passages of Scripture quickly. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The Lord has given us his peace. As we close today, our time together in this word, I would like to uh, practice with you a bit of scripture memory. So I hope that you'll appease me in this. We're going to practice John 14, 27. So you repeat after me. Ready? This is Jesus speaking. He says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You think we can put more of it together? Let's try two parts. My turn. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I'm going to stretch you now. See if you can say it all. I'll lead you slowly. Ready? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Ready? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Church, today, Psalm 125 is a psalm of safety and stability It is a psalm about the security that the believer has 
in Jesus Christ. And it is a psalm that promises that those who come to him will have peace. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that in a small way, Lord, today I have said something that would be of help, maybe have brought something to the mind of the Christian that they would chew on, that they would revisit later. God, I pray that your word has been honored and that your son Jesus Christ has been glorified in this time. Even now, Lord, I pray that if there would be any here who do not know you, that they have heard the warning of the scripture and that they would turn aside from their evil ways, that they would heed the warning and repent and turn to you. Lord, you said that any who would come into you, you would hold them, you would keep them secure, you would not cast them out. And you said, Lord, that your sheep know you and that they hear your voice. You are the good shepherd today. You are the one who has called us to yourself. You are the one who will see to it, Lord, that we gain our sure inheritance. Thank you for your spirit that you've given us, who has sealed us into the day of redemption, who is himself our pledge and our guarantee of our sure inheritance. Thank you, Lord, that we will not live in this world of sin forever. You have promised that when we die in this world, we will be brought to you. And you have promised that you will come unto this world and you will make all things new. Lord, we do pray that you would come quickly. We do pray that you would establish peace on the earth and that you would rule forever and ever. God, we glorify you today. We thank you again for your word. God, I thank you for your church and for these brothers and sisters today. Now, be with us this week as we go. Help us, Lord, to live lives that are pleasing to you. Help us, Lord, to live as those who do good and who are good because we've been saved by a good Savior. Help us, Lord, to walk in the good works that you have prepared for us beforehand that we might please you and honor you and glorify you. We love you, Lord. We pray these things now in your name. Amen. Church, let's stand and sing together. <clears throat>